Welcome to Indie Dotes, the podcast that shares the stories of independent creators. I'm your host, Susan Bond. During the show, you'll hear a siren or two. I thought about editing it out, but decided that it was appropriate for this episode. Today on the show, I have Kate Ray. Kate makes a lot of side projects, and a lot of them have to deal with data, maps, and feelings. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me here. Today we're going to be talking about uh, one, at least one of your projects that you've recently done, which is Crying in Public, but I understand that you also have a day job. Yep, engineering manager at Pilot Works, which is uh, a food business incubator. So people who are starting up food businesses can use the space in the community and mostly what they, uh, what they get is these shared commercial kitchen spaces. So they can flexibly rent uh, spots in the kitchen for caterers, people who make products, food trucks, Morgisburg, that kind of company. Oh, cool. So a few years ago, I found this Kickstarter called Acceptable Reasons to Cry in Public. And it was these maps. I don't remember even these maps. I guess it was these posters. And you were, they, you know, you were, what you did was you bought three posters and the goal was to put the maps up in your town somewhere in public. And I think the project was really super, and isn't that interesting? Yeah, actually I had heard about this. Um, People told me about it after I started this project, but I didn't know that it was, that people were supposed to make the maps themselves, which really makes it. Well, they actually made the maps, but then you put them out. Oh, okay. So, yes, she made the maps and shipped them to you. And then you put them up in your town. And what I really loved about it was it was just a really emotional project, I, I guess. Like, and it was also a very community-oriented project. Like, mm-hmm. hey, it is okay to cry in public. I was on a train going home once, and I was crying. And I just had had a tough day with my, my work. And this woman slipped me this note on a business card that said, I've had those days and I've cried in public and it'll be okay. Oh, I know. Isn't that so sweet? And it made, and it was the sweetest, sweetest, sweetest thing ever. This is all a long way of saying that I was fascinated when I saw crying in public, the project that you created. And I just knew I wanted to have you on the show. If you would have me. (laughs) Yeah. I really like that story. It feels It feels New York to me in this way that, first of all, someone was prepared to see people crying in public, I guess, if she'd already had this. Um, Oh, or were you saying that she had just written it down? She wrote it down. Okay. Uh, But it's still, it's this way of connecting and letting you know that she's there without getting in your space. And something that I like about crying in public in New York is that people are seeing you and acknowledging you and you don't feel alone, but you also just feel free to do it because there's always so many people around and everyone's seen everything and it just doesn't feel like that big of a deal to sit on the subway subway sobbing. Well, right, and also the other thing I think about is there's 8 million of you folks and I, I'm not sure I'm going to see you again. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? There's like an anonymity to the mm-hmm. city that is... I think for some people, 
feels lonely, but for me feels very comforting. Yeah, I would say I'm the same way. (laughs) Cool. Somebody else understands what I mean by that. (laughs) And so let's tell folks actually what crying in public is. Since I've already launched into this, let's explain what the project is. It's a map that's centered on New York City where you can use emojis to mark the spots all over the city where you've cried in public, where you've vomited or peed or thrown or (laughs) excreted in some way, um, where you've fallen in love, where you've gotten broken up with, where you've danced outside or protested or gotten into trouble with the cops. But it kind of is a way to write down these stories about the intense personal moments that you've had in public and then all the stories go anonymously onto the homepage that you can just explore the city through all these different stories about different people without any context, you know, who the story is connected to. Yeah, there's something very sort of universal and community in that for me. Mm-hmm. You know, like like that I don't might not have context, but I can totally relate to the time that someone broke up with you and your heart dropped, mm-hmm. you know, or something happened in public and you re- you will always forever remember that where you were when that happened. Yeah. And the lack of context is kind of similar to crying in public and that I think you can be more honest and tell stories sometimes that even your friends only know a little bit about when they're just going to be put together with everybody else's stories like this. Yeah, there's something quite, I think maybe, I was going to say cathartic about it. Mm -hmm. To share that story without feeling maybe like you have to worry about the teller or the, the listener's response or your relationship at that point. Yeah. So how did how did this project start? How did you come up with it? I can't even remember. I keep a list of ideas as I have them just on the back burner and then every now and then I'll pick up one of the ideas. But I guess so I'll start with uh I moved to New York City for school for NYU, like, 12 years ago, I guess. And when I first got here, I felt like I was living in a movie because everything that I saw, all these buildings and bridges and parks, were icons to me. Uh, And I actually was living in a movie because they were filming I Am Legend in Washington Square Park. So I don't know if you've seen that movie, but there's, like, a part where they blast this bright light to kill all the zombies, and that was happening right outside of my window. So oh, wow. I literally was in a movie. But it had this glow where everything felt like it belonged to a movie or a TV show or a picture. Mm. And then as I grew up here in the way that you do from 18 to 30, I started to have so many experiences that I would connect with particular parts of the city. So there'd be like that one sidewalk where my 
boyfriend in college broke up with me, and after that I would always cross to the other side of the street to not be on that corner. But then over time, something else would happen in almost that exact same space. And with 12 years, I started to have so many overlapping personal connections to parts of the outside of New York City. I just thought about how everybody walking around had those layers of meaning on the city as well. And I really liked that. And I was thinking for a long time about how to explore those kinds of layers. Well, right, because, you know, uh, the, the corner of Broadway and, and, and Houston might have very different meaning for one person versus another, you know? Like a street is not just a street, is what I hear you saying. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a map of your own personal history there. Yeah. So you've been thinking about this idea for a while. And what made you pick this one out of the idea hopper and begin to build it? It was a hard idea. Like it, I knew it would take a fair amount of work. And I had recently gotten fired from a job in a, in a public place. So that's on the map. <laughs> oh. um, and just had a lot of time and had gone to Ukraine with my boyfriend. Maybe also when I'm away from New York, I start to think of it about it more. And so I just started working on it there. Got it. And what was, what was going to be hard about the project or what was hard about this project? Uh, I mean, first of all, anything that involves lots of people doing an interaction, especially one that is a little bit unusual is just going to be hard because, you know, users create, create all the problems, even while they create all the value. So thinking about how the interaction would make sense for them, and then also technically all the kinds of weird bugs they would discover. I've worked with maps before, so I knew that there are a lot of technical challenges especially because this thing uses Google Street Maps, so it's like images loading. Um, there's just a lot of moving parts, and it's not like a super standard app. So I knew I'd have to go through a lot of iterations for the interface also. Well, right, there's a lot of things that you don't control. There's, at this point, I've made a lot of like side projects, and if I do something where people write in a text box and then it goes to another page and you pull them together. That's pretty easy at this point because it's something everybody's used to. It's something web tools are built up to support really well. But this one just is kind of a weird thing. Yeah, well, so what would you say was, I don't know, either the hardest part or the thing that you spent the most time really thinking about with this project? I definitely thought a lot about the design, the tension between how fun versus how sad I wanted to make this. Mm. Um, I ended up designing the little squares with the Google Street View and the story 
to look like this webcomic. I think it's a softer world. Yeah, it's this like really beautiful, poignant, funny webcomic kind of from a little while ago at this point. And that felt like the right mood for it. But I tried a lot of different things that were that made it look like you were writing graffiti all over the city because I really liked that idea. It just turned out it was really hard to read that way. Mm, interesting. So you spent a good amount of time thinking about even the mood on the map, what you wanted mm-hmm. to convey, the, the emotion. Because you're right, it, it, crying in public could sound like a really sad morose sort of project right like coming to that site the site and it might be a sad experience Mm -hmm. yeah actually uh when i first worked on it i had a facebook login because i was like oh people might want to log in with facebook and somehow i think the url got blacklisted by facebook maybe because they thought it was something bad so i just wasn't even they blocked me out of the API, and then, you know, I'd write to them and be like, what can I do? And they told me to write on this developers group about it, but as soon as you put in the URL, then my posts would get flagged and disappeared, oh, and it no. was, like, you <laughs> such like in, a pain. I'm, I'm like, you're, like, in the seven stages of, like, API <laughs> And I think it was just the URL, or that's all I can figure out. So were you ever able to resolve that issue with Facebook? Um, yeah, although I ripped out the Facebook login because I didn't really like it anyway. After but, all that effort. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you can, uh, you can share it to Facebook. Like, yeah. there's a little button, and it doesn't flag it as offensive content anymore. So that's nice. It is offensive to cry in public. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what are they saying there? So um, I actually realized I want to go back to something Mm-hmm. Where did you start on this project? So did you start it when you were in the Ukraine? And what part of this was the first thing that you started on when you said, okay, I'm gonna, I want to start thinking about bringing this to life? At first it was just a map with just, just like the little crying emoji. When I started doing it myself, it just uh, it felt a little sad and it didn't feel like a complete representation to me of how many different things I felt in public. So then I started adding all these other emojis and they're all things I've done in public or has happened in public. And it still didn't, it it kind of, it was just the emojis with these stories attached, which was getting there, but it didn't really feel personal enough to me yet mm. so it was on a map because that's the only way you can really place these things but a map isn't how we think about a city so at that point I added in this street view piece where you can set up like the view that you had uh, associated with the story I got really excited when I was looking through Google Street View and saw that you could go back in time, like at least if you're going through their normal maps. Because I was like, that would be so cool if you could choose like a Street View image from 2013 when that bar was still open or something. 
Right, right, because the city changes so fast. Yeah, but they don't let you do it. <laughs> they only let you get the most recent view. But that's okay, too. Sometimes it's, it's funny to see someone's story about a place that doesn't exist anymore. I did it's interesting, like the fact that you could see the, the, the view of what that person was looking at because it gives more rich context to the story, mm-hmm. right? It adds an emotional element or just a, a broad, I guess, more information. Yeah, and it's just like, it's that view. It's like that apartment facade that's the, the object that, triggers all those feelings in you right 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 so you can someone else can see that and to me it's just a door but to you mm-hmm. <laughs> it opens you into a whole new world an emotional world maybe. yeah and I found as I was setting up my little stories that it was really emotional when I would track down like some alleyway off of second street uh, and post my little story that was starting to make me feel things so then I thought I was on the right path. Mm. Yeah, and w- so when you, so you got to that point where you're now adding the street view in, was it in your mind from the beginning, I think it was, but I want to clarify, that you wanted to, you knew you wanted to be it to be more of a community project, not just yours? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you knew that. Yeah, that's something about almost all the side projects like this that I built, is that I really want to make things so that people can give back something to me so that I can be surprised and delighted by the thing that they have made. Mm, mm, I love that. So how, um, I guess I'm curious how much, so you how much of this did you start when you were in the Ukraine? How much of it did you build in the Ukraine, like away from New York City, right? The place that you're writing or working about. Um, a lot of a lot of the functionality of it. It's really nice over there because we're with my partner's family. The internet is really good for some reason, uh, and there's like nothing to do <laughs> most of the time. So you spend a lot of time. Yeah, like right for a side project, right? Mm-hmm. So pretty most of the things aside from the street view, although that was one of the trickier parts to get done, I just did kind of during that two weeks a long time ago now at this point. And then I put the project aside, would go back to it now and then, ended up getting a lot better at React and Redux in the interim. So kind of like rewrote the whole thing. Because I also use these side projects just to explore new technology. As far as like the idea and basic functionality, I pretty much did that all in the first few weeks. And this is a while ago, you said, like Mm -hmm. a year, two, three years ago? Uh, This was like nine, no, I guess, I guess a year ago at this point. Got it. So you set it aside for a while just because you wanted to work on other projects or life or... 99% of a project is like the cleaning up, finishing touches, all the fun part is like kind of the first part. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So there was a lot of things to fix after. But actually also it was that a year ago was 
right around the election, right around our country changing or us finding out how it was changed. And this kind of project didn't really feel right for a little while. It just felt like there were so many more political actions to get involved with. Um, And even though we are still going around feeling and having our own lives, I just sort of wanted to work on other things until more recently. I think that that makes a, it makes a ton of sense. It was a, it was emotionally a very different time for our country. Not that it's not still ongoing, but mm-hmm. I can see. And I, I really like that idea of it, it sounds like you're paying attention to sort of emotional resident resonance or when a project when it's right to release a project or get back to a project, release it into the world. Yeah. I've had a lot of projects that I've built most of, sat on for a long time, and then finally at some point I'm just like, okay, fine, I'm going to just finish it right now and get it out. And I think we don't think of these projects, especially tech projects this way, because they do degrade a bit over time. But if they're evergreen ideas, you can really put them aside for a whole year, a couple of years, and then come back to them later. Yeah, and so when you came back to, when did you come back to it? I was at this place, Recurse Center, in like the late summer, fall, which is a programmer's retreat. So it's like three months where you just go and program stuff every day. There's no classes or teachers. It's not a really like a boot camp, uh, but it's a time to explore tech with this community of people who want to support you and are interested in learning the same things. So there I just picked it up again because it was just a good project to work on a bunch of these new JavaScript frameworks and patterns. So that was probably in August or so. And so you picked it up during that time. Did you work on other projects while you were there too, or was this the main one? Uh, I did a lot of projects there. I decided to learn machine learning, but didn't make a ton with that. I really wanted to use that for like an art idea also. I made a bot, a Twitter bot that tweets out these screenshots from the last Twin Peaks series. Yeah, I saw that. It's great. Like, the subtitles printed on them, because that show is just so amazing. Any random screen capture you get looks like something you could frame. Yeah, my my partner is a huge... Twin Peaks fans, like <laughs> massive. So as soon as I saw that in researching you, I ran and showed him. I'm pretty sure he was very obsessed. Um, yeah, he brings up I Twin like Peaks like once a week, I think, around our house. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Yep, yep. I did. I actually worked with this earlier project I had made called Where is Williamsburg? That's a way to select the Williamsburg of your city and then to find the Williamsburg of any city in the world. 
Yeah, I definitely want to get back to that one. Yeah. I'm really intrigued by that. Can I, can mm-hmm. I pause? Because I want to sure. ask a question. It seems like you create a lot. You, like, you both started, the, you started this project and did significant work. See, it seems like when you were sort of more, like, away from things, mm-hmm. you had some time to really work on it mm-hmm. versus maybe working something, slowly plugging away at it at night. Right. So, you know, like, are there, so I'm curious about the creative process. Are there spurts? Do you, or is it spurts and working on it at night? Does that make sense what I'm asking? Yeah. Uh, and it really depends. Mm. I've had projects like this one I made alongside, uh, that maps your relationships over time. And that one, I, launched on a Valentine's Day a few years ago because I was heartbroken at the time. Didn't have any plans for Valentine's Day, and I was like, I'm just going to hack all night. Uh, And it was kind of like a distraction to work on something. But other projects, you know, have come from more stable states and are just kind of when I have a bunch of time to work on them. Well, yeah, because I'm always curious about how creators do it. I think some people spend a little bit of time every day or, you know, slow mm-hmm. and steady, and other people have more, like, spurts, right, where they spend eight or nine hours on it at a time or a weekend or a month. Yeah. I definitely follow the spurts pattern more. I find it pretty hard to get my head into a project, whether it's a code base or something I'm writing, uh, it takes like at least a couple hours. So I find a bunch of hours at a time, preferably like a week of a bunch of those hours is necessary to get much work done. Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense to me as a writer. I find that if I'm writing an article, I basically need to block out an entire day to get the first draft done where I have nothing else on my plate, no Mm -hmm. other things, so that I can just really get in the headspace. And I'm not writing that whole day sometimes, but sometimes I'm reading or I'm, you know, I'm walking around and I'm thinking about it. But I find that to get that first draft done, I have to dedicate at least a day to it. And often I'll dedicate it Saturdays and Sundays to my writing. Yeah. Yeah, just having that amount of time set aside for yourself, even if you don't use it, as you said, uh, I feel like I kind of need that rather than pressure of a couple hours and you're watching the time come up. Yeah. I mean, I think some people can do that and I, I admire them. Mm-hmm. You know, someone who can just jump into a project and be productive for an hour or two. Yeah, I've heard from some of my friends who started having babies that this is actually one of the benefits. I mean, they're the ones who continue to produce a lot of stuff, even while being really busy, but they're like, it just makes you focus your time so much better. So who knows, maybe I'll change in that way. But right now I have the luxury of being able to say, I just want a whole day to work on this. Yeah, maybe that's what I needed. I needed a baby. Um, <laughs> I've not had kids. I'm not. I'm not going to have kids. I've heard that too, actually. 
uh, by other, you know, other of my friends who are, are and family who are parents that, that they've taught them how to, to focus and they've been able to do that. Um, you know, find ways to focus in very short amount of times. Mm-hmm. I think there's also just different styles too. You know, some people yeah. really, I don't know, their, their style, I don't know. They, they have a particular way of doing things or that works best for them. Because I think I could, I can accomplish things in an hour or two, but I can't, I guess I'm not, I'm not my happiest when I'm creating that way. I love to just bash through a first draft, even though I know it's going to be, I'm going to rip it apart and it's going to be horrible. There's something about going through that whole thing. It just, I feel it makes it easier and better for me being able to do that. Yeah. When did you, so you, you did a bunch of work on it at, at Recurse Center, and then when were you, did, did you continue to do more spurt work on it? I'm looking at, like, when did you launch it and how you kind of finished it? I had pretty much done all the work, but I always get afraid before launching something, or I just, mm. usually, I'm most of the things I've launched or, like, published or put out into the world I sort of did from this place of despair where I'm like it's not perfect it's there's so much I want to do to it but I've felt stuck for a while and I haven't known what to add to it (laughs) usually it turns out fine but I have spent so much time thinking about something that I've worked myself up about how much better I want it to be Ah, so you're not worried about how people might receive it, but your own perception of where you are in in how good it could be? Yeah, although they're tied up, especially with something like this, where it's only good if people are using it. So worrying about it being better and how it'll be received are kind of similar. Although I guess I would say that for most of my projects, I would much rather they were received deeply by a small set of people than shallowly by like a much wider set. Um, But for this project, I was kind of in that state. I had finished it. I'd even written a little blog post about it. I didn't have anything else to add. I didn't have much time anymore. So I just put it in my head that like I have to do this before Valentine's Day because I knew that was that's a time that really gets people's feelings going. Ah, so yeah, so you had a launch date in mind. Uh, I had an upper limit where I was like, Ah. I know that this is good before then, it has to happen. And then that weekend came around, I was so busy, but I had just like told myself that I would do it. So I just, you know, it was already up. I basically just like, tweeted it. Ah, so it was live. It was more about Mm -hmm. publicizing it and letting other folks know. Yeah. And when you launched it, was it just your emotional, I don't know, landmarks or stories on it? Or had you had other folks add some before you, uh, you know, really published it live? I had gotten a couple friends to put down some of their stories, partly just because that way, you know, we weren't it was a little bit more anonymous on the front page. <laughs> mm. And I had talked about the idea to people over time. So there were some friends who were like, oh man, I've cried everywhere. I would 
I would definitely, I have some stories I would love to put on that. Um, so yeah, so there was a little bit up already. Got it. And so what happens, you put it out on Twitter and then what happened? Uh, people just saw it and started using it and started sharing it. Was it pretty quickly or did it yeah. take some time for folks to sort of understand or get into or get the message to spread around? It took a little bit of time, but the Valentine's Day thing did really help. I think for a lot of like New York specific tech blogs and just New York publications, they always want something to work into their news cycle that's cute and different and specific to New York. So a number of journalists contacted me and wanted to get things out that week. So that definitely helped push it along. Yeah, I know. I found, I think I heard about it in technically Brooklyn. I mm -hmm. think that's what that, that, uh, publication is called. Yeah, I know them. Yep. Yeah. So how did the journalists contact you? Was it just from the tweets or did you know folks and reach out to journalists? There's just this guy there who I think writes so many of the articles who has written about things I've done in the past. So I kind of already had a bit of a relationship with him. So I think he wrote something and then I saw it and I was like, oh, you know, give him a couple explanations and stuff. But mm. I already and, knew him. Yeah. What about other places? Was that the first place to write about you or were there other places writing before about you before that or about this project, I should say? Uh, I think that was the first one, but then Slate wrote like this very cute piece. I think it started with something about like, if you were to swim in the Hudson River, you would be swimming in the tears of hundreds of New Yorkers, <laughs> which I really liked. <laughs> Got it. So then it just kind of spread from there. Mm-hmm. And was there anything, I'm just looking at the map right now, and, and it's really interesting. I'm, I'm really surprised by how many puking faces there are on it. I know. I'm slightly disturbed by that. I'm like, <laughs> are we drinking too much, or are we having food poisoning? Like, that was really interesting to me. I mean, the broken hearts didn't surprise me. But was there anything about this when people started to add their own emojis that surprised you? I would say that the individual stories would always catch me off guard in how funny they were, how vulnerable they were, but overall the kinds of things that people are talking about, the places they're putting them, uh, are kind of what they, what I expected. They're similar to things that have happened to me and my friends all over New York City. Every individual story is surprising, but the whole of it is kind of what I already knew New York to be. Mm. Yeah, so in that way, it, 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 it sounds like it met your expectations or it was, I don't know, it was, what, I don't know what words to use. Like it was, because I don't, I don't feel like you had expectations 
uh, necessarily about what white people do, but just that it feels maybe like it, it's satisfied whatever that itch you were trying to scratch? Yeah, it satisfied some of the curiosity that I've always had walking around and seeing someone going through something and knowing that there was a story behind it, but not what it was. I'll just read some of the ones that I like, some of the stories, or sort of describe them. Yeah, yeah, um, let's, let's talk about some of the stories that really touched you or were interesting to you. There's, there's an intersection on North 7th and Bedford uh, where someone just like took a picture of the whole intersection and wrote, was hung over, threw up on a tree that grew up in Brooklyn, which I thought was funny. Mm. Um, and there's uh, some, some sad ones outside of schools that are like, I did everything exactly as I wanted, so why do I feel so effing empty? And then pictures of an apartment building somewhere in Brooklyn where someone said, this is where I found my chosen family and felt at home for the first time in my life. There's somewhere where someone put a little heart and was like, first love begins here. And then a breaking heart a block away that says, first love ends three years later. And it all just helps remind me of the span of things that you experience. I'm someone who, when I'm sad, I like to think about times that I was happy, and when I'm happy, I think about times that I was very sad. So I like seeing these really extreme experiences everywhere. It just helps me to remember that they're all part of living. Yeah, when you look at the map, it, 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 it does. Like the one that I love is it's, uh, it's across the, um, the Williamsburg Bridge. The three of us danced across the bridge in the sunset, and for these moments, I felt whole again. Yeah, I like that one a lot, too. Just so delightful. I thought, I want to go dance across the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> I want that moment of feeling so in the moment and in the company of other people that I forget about work or stress, or and I'm just dancing across a bridge. And you probably have had that moment. That's what lets us connect with it because we think of something ourselves that happened like this. Yeah, right. It's like I want more of those moments. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the the real beauty of 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 a project like this, of this map is bringing people together and that commonality of human emotion and experience even if my experience, my emotion is connected in some different way or my specific experience is different. We've all sort of felt that emotion. Yeah. When I was doing a bit of research on you, I noticed that it seems like you have a thing with maps. So because you've got crying in public, you've got the Williamsburg of your city, you've got alongside, uh, which is, um, you know, for square check-ins, and then, in a way, your map is, or your site is a map. Yeah. 
I really, I like maps, but I like the, the human part of maps. So I like seeing culture or like how people are interacting with space. I think that's really interesting, especially in New York City, because people are so in touch with these big public parts of the city. Crying in Public and the Where's Williamsburg project are both about the idea of like mapping culture. Putting information and data into a different representation, sort of out of context, is just a really interesting way to look at it. Well, yeah, it was really interesting when I was playing with Alongside before our, before, before we talked, actually it was really emotional for me because I used to be really into four square check-ins, right? Back in 2013, before yeah. it switched to Swarm and all of that. And Foursquare holds, for me, a lot of emotion because mm -hmm. in 2013, I was falling in love with my partner. And I would, I, on the map, you could like click these different things. And I was looking for just big things. And it was like Denver Airport. And that was a big thing because I was traveling between Denver and um, New York City. I was living in Denver and I was, my partner lived in New York City. And so I spent a lot of time in, in, at that airport. Almost every single one that I clicked, it was a moment with him. Mm -hmm. And it was really wonderful. It was like actually really emotional for me. It wasn't so, I think that map was more about maybe like, I'm not sure if it was like about relationships with other people, but yeah, that's what it much. was. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was for me. And it was really wonderful because I, it, was a, it was an incredible emotional experience to remember all of those moments with this person and to go back in that time when we were first falling in love and we were traipsing across the country and the world to be together. Yeah. And I really like that that could pull out all of those emotions out of this data that yeah. is kind of flat and throw away and you don't think about it very much. Yeah, it strikes me that you use maps and data, I mean, for me at least, to, to bring out emotions in, in people or, or community or experiences or relationships. Mm -hmm. I've said before that I like to make people cry in front of their computers in a good way. <laughs> You, I love that. I love to make people cry in front of their computers. Yes, you have done that for me in a, in a number of different ways. And so maps is, it sounds like maps is a way for you to draw out data, like to make data come to life. Um, it's just a different way of drawing connections between things and by kind of presenting it in a new way you can connect with it differently. What do you think is your next project or are you working on your next thing? I know, right? <laughs> like the one that you're gonna unveil, I'm sure you're working on a few of them. Maybe. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I mean, I have some ideas, like even just for this, this crying in public map, I've been wanting to use AR kit to like, just make some kind of augmented reality project. And I'd really like to somehow translate this into 
and AR mapping. So you could be walking around New York and then really see these stories kind of like graffiti on the walls. Ooh. I have to figure out some things there about whether it's always on or you get a push to turn it on at a certain point or something. But that seems like it could be fun. Oh, I love that. What else now? I'm working at this company that does, that works with like people who make food and I've been thinking about food a lot. So I, have, I do have one, one new idea. I'm not sure yet if it's possible. You know how Alexa and I think Google Home and stuff have these programs that will read you recipes as you're cooking? Yeah. And that seems like it would be, that's kind of the only use I can think of for one of those voice controlled systems because I do cook a lot and you get your hands dirty and I'm always like putting my dirty hands on my iPhone. Oh yeah, my phone um, is disgusting from cooking. It's like <laughs> wiping off like broccoli and mm-hmm. you know, all that from my phone. Uh-huh. <laughs> but they pull the recipes from like allrecipes.com or something that they have a partnership with. Yep. And I've been thinking about an app to let you record recipes from people you know so maybe like your parents or your grandparents and get the data in a structured format maybe like certain questions that you ask them um, so that then it can be put together into instructions for you to cook I love that I want want this because I've been thinking so I'm not an engineer I'm not that technically talented that I can build things. I mean, I I can code a bit and I've built some tiny little projects. Um, But that is something I want. (laughs) I I think about it every day because I I cook a lot. I cook three meals a day. I work, I I have my home office. I love that idea. I I want that. You have to let me know if you build it. Yeah, I want it too. It (laughs) might be really hard. I haven't looked into the, the tech parts of this yet. Yeah, I feel like that would be really useful. Well, because also you could, because, you know, you could also not only just parents, but like other of your favorite recipes that you found that are not on these sites, right? You could get like collect anything. You could put anything into this, into this so that you could have instructions. Yeah, I think it could be useful. I would say that a lot of the stuff I make is sort of useful, but, yeah. um, <laughs> but is also a little bit more in the like art or just kind of weird thing category. So <laughs> while I would want this to be useful, I think I also like the the powerful idea of like your grandmother reading her recipe for pot stickers. Yeah. Um, my grandmother passed away a few years ago, but my cousin had collected a lot of her recipes for Chinese food because she was she taught Chinese cooking um, into this you know self-published book and I didn't really realize how special it would be until I couldn't ask her about how to you know how much water to put over the pot stickers when you put on the lid yeah it, it strikes me as like going back again there's like an emotional resonance here there's mm-hmm. something <laughs> about bringing data or information to life in a way that that expresses emotions or feelings yeah i'm big on emotions 